The Thrivecast is sponsored by Intuit. Intuit QuickBooks is dedicated to helping accounting professionals save time and grow their practice. With products and services like QuickBooks Online Accountant and the QuickBooks Pro Advisor program, you can truly boost your efficiencies, collaborate with clients, and play a pivotal role in fueling their success. Follow the link in the show notes to find out more. Greg, it's 88. It's episode 88. Holy Man. moly. It's, it's 88. 88. Episode 88. It's 88 degrees in Provo, Utah, and it's 88 degrees in right. uh, Greenville, South Carolina. This is uh, the Thrivecast, right. and we're coming at you hot this, this That's month. right. Yeah, and you know what? There's always a couple of things we want to tell you, listeners. Uh, we're, we're going to be talking about some good stuff oh. today. Processes, capacity management. This is stuff firms need. Yeah, this um, is this is some higher level stuff that. Uh, oh yeah. That you, we're going to force you to think about, even though you you like this is the stuff that you're like. Wait, I'm not ready, but you're ready. Yeah. Today's the oh, day. Oh, you're ready. Yeah. There, no fart jokes today. Okay. <laughs> okay. You're going to get some real education. <laughs> but yeah. okay. <laughs> but yeah, we got to let you know about just just a few things to keep you up to speed with Thrival before we get going on that. First off, every month we got an intro call for people we who want to join Thrival. But yep. here's the deal. Thrival might not be the right fit for every single person out there. So that's why we have a, a intro call for you. Right. To, I, uh, yeah, and I do it. You do it. I don't do it. I do it. Nobody trusts <laughs> me with that. No, I do. And I answer questions. I have I help everybody through understanding what Thrival is is all about. And, you know, we have a future firm group that Julie and I lead, my partner. We lead this um, every month. It's a whole year uh, and it, it walks firms through growth and keeps them accountable. And we're doing that again in 2019. So you want to go to the show notes and and actually you can express interest by filling out a form uh, if you go to the show notes and do that. Right. What else? Cool. Uh, Facebook Live every Monday, 2 o'clock p.m. Eastern time. That's noon o'clock right here where I'm at in the central, I mean, in the mountain time zone. I don't even know what time zone I'm in. In the mountain time zone. It makes a good, uh, makes a little good lunchtime for me. You can, uh, you can uh, email your questions to info at thrival.com and you can ask, they can ask you anything, Jason. They can ask you Um, anything. And you're yeah. not going to answer any of the questions that don't have to do with firm growth, but that doesn't prevent people from asking the questions, the big right. questions. Okay. Right. Yeah. The meaning of life. Ask us. Mm-hmm. Do it. And, and we'll probably answer more of the firm related growth questions instead, but you can ask anything. And one more thing we got to remind you, do not forget Deeper Weekend. It's our eighth annual Deeper Weekend. And you know what? Only in September can you use the code oh. but you know what? what this podcast is after september and <laughs> that's right is that why you went oops no, so no i was sitting there, no i was going oh because i didn't see the code in my show notes in my this in my cheat sheet i'm going oh does he have a code that's not this, i was like i was all ready for some super secret code you, but no this no, is the, if the you're problem. listening to this deeper weekends over you missed it <laughs> suckers yeah or you were there and it was rad. 
Oh, yeah, yeah. So maybe you're listening and you were there. I mm -hmm. didn't think about that. There's a second category of person. Yeah. But, oh, but it says, but wait, hold on. Look at look at what we're supposed to say on the things that tell us <laughs> what to say. It says register for Deeper Weekend 2019. Oh, my gosh. That's coming up. You haven't missed Deeper Weekend 2019 yet or 2020. Oh. But we haven't quite opened oh. registration for Deeper Weekend 2032 yet. But Deeper Weekend 2019, that's, that's going to be ready to go. In the future when this podcast happens which is now That's for right. you right and yeah. i'm i'm thinking we have royally screwed up this intro but you know what we roll with it that's right you guys get it they get it jason it's all okay. good do they they do they do they 100 percent do and it's uh, and okay. it's yeah that's okay uh, they, you know half of the people that tune in just want to hear you pronounce rappers names now um <laughs> so <laughs> oh, Ep episode 86, by the way. So here's the thing. Today, <laughs> today our guest is going to be Ian Vason. We know yes. Ian. He's like, we're tight with him. Yeah, we're tight. He he leads and runs Carbon, and Carbon's a great sponsor of Thrival. They always have been. And he's his 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 head is chock full of goodness to teach us. Always is. His head is, is chock full. Totally chock full. His head is so chock full of things to teach us that when he came to a Deeper Weekend 2017, his head was so full of things to teach us that he did he forgot to book a hotel room and he ended up oh. being my 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 roommate in <laughs> Because I, because my, weekend. yeah, because well, my well, Airbnb had an extra bedroom. I got two bedrooms. There's only one of me. Come on, it all worked out. Well, well, why are you at Deeper Weekend? What do you do there? I do. I'm the MC, and I'm, I'm ah, no I, way. I'm, I'm the party starter, is what I like to no, think. Of. No way. I, I am. I am. I just was as of yesterday, because this is gonna drop on October 25th. So as of Which earlier is... today, maybe I was MCing. <laughs> the you did great uh, thanks man it was so much fun it was weird well, when uh that one thing you said but you know i know was that crazy yeah but again people expect that but um here's the other thing ian vason he was also he's a he's a uh repeat guest here on the thrivecast i yep. thought is this his third or his second thrivecast I can't remember. I thought I it was his third. I went through all the old Thrivecast. I, I found number 62 where he talked about making sense of marketing because he's a big marketing guy. And he yeah, yeah. and he laid a whole bunch of stuff there. But we're having back this time to talk a lot about processes. Yeah. And the reason is because Carbon, this product they built, is really – it is like the engine of firms. Um, and so – uh, we're probably going to get to talk to a couple articles he wrote uh, on the Firm of the Future Intuit uh, blog. One of them is The Art of Determining and Developing Standardization Processes. That sounds pretty exciting. <laughs> yeah, yep. <laughs> Woo! Yep. That's, mm -hmm. that's, that's exciting. Mm -hmm. And then another one he wrote is called The Short and Long of Capacity Planning. So really, Greg, I think you and I are going to talk a little bit about processes together, you and I. And then yes. we're going to talk about capacity planning. Um in when we have Ian come on in just a few minutes and you know Julie and I my partner we do a lot of we've been doing a whole chock full of this stuff yeah lately you know I'm gonna use the word chock full as much as possible in this podcast right. oh I'm not supposed to say I just like do it yeah just do it it's people <laughs> people roll with you you know that Jason you you lifted the curtain again but that's okay can we jump into this content though? I'm like chomping do up it. a bit to do this. So here's the Let's thing: do it with process improvement. Okay, in in Ian's article on process improvement, he says, "Hey, listen, 
you know how you update your processes once a year? Well, things are changing so fast right now. You're probably going to have to up your game to twice a year. And I sit yep. here and, and I'm saying, who the hell even updates their processes once a year? I'll bet you that the, the majority of people listening to this right now, and tell me if you think I'm wrong, the majority of people right here don't have formalized processes, period, Correct. let alone Correct. updating them once a year, way let alone letting updating them every six months. Do you agree? That's right. Yeah, yeah, no, that's a we we agree because Julie and I lead we lead uh, something called the Thrival Incubator, which is a two and a half day event, which really teaches people how to get this mini MBA in firm building uh-huh. and core developing core processes. It's a key part of building a firm. Uh-huh. Uh, and now, if you want to scale and grow a firm, so now so there are some some firms that are just themselves and they have four or five people and they stay four or five people for you know ten years and that's fine. Because here's what processes allow you to do. They allow you to run your company or your firm and scale that firm up without having to rely on the owner's head because that's where all the processes are located in small firms. They're located in the head of the owner. And when stuff is stuck in the head of the owner, guess what? Uh, They're a bottleneck and you can't, you don't know what's in the head of the owner. Right. So the, the, the head, the head is the bottleneck and right. and that, that totally, that makes no, that totally makes sense. I get that. Here's my, here's my first question. Do you think, so, so I guess when did, do you know, like when you started standardizing your processes at your firm? Um, was that when Julie well, came on or was it before that or was it after that? Yeah, that's when Julie came on. <laughs> it was like, we got to well, get these out hey, of your brain. Well, yeah. And you know why? You know why? I was overwhelmed. Okay. Um, yeah. And it really, because everything was in my head. And so I'm the one, I'm the one person who could do everything. And yeah, that is, if that is true in your company, in your firm, that is not how you scale and grow a company. And mm. Julie just intuitively knew that actually we built some huge processes. Part of our process was for her to sit down with me and go, tell me every single mm. thing about that thing that you could possibly tell me that, you know, and we just, we just wrote oh. it on sticky paper. Yeah. And when I was doing huh. this, I was like, Oh, I didn't know I did that step. Right. I would say things and go, Oh, I didn't know I did that. Mm. Cause you do things habitually. Um, and the problem is you habitually do things that you shouldn't be doing, um, oftentimes. So the the reason you can't scale is because processes are in the head of the owner and you, and if you're the only person that news knows stuff in your head, then your company can't grow because other people don't know what's in your head. So formalized standardized processes get those things out of your head right and you're just doing them habitually because they're your processes that that you just kind of came up like in a less formal process but you knew what your processes were that's right yeah and you know so there there are processes in small companies that are in the head of the owner and they just always do them because they just know right to do them okay um but it's a key to growth to get these out of your head. It yeah. really is. Okay. So again, the, and, and here's the thing. So, so in, in the article we're talking about that Ian wrote the first, he has 10 steps. We got to try to burn through 10 steps. Oh the first one said, I know we're never going to do it. We're going like, to so, cut it down yeah, to seven. Come on, dude. Anybody who writes blog posts know, knows you need to keep it to one thing, just one point. That's what anyways, <laughs> uh, de- determine his first step is determine the first process to optimize, which that makes sense. Because 
you got it. You can't do them all at once. So pick one. And he says, pick the one that pick something that pisses you off the most and start there. Where did you yeah. and Julie start off? Well, so what we do, we we follow some growth principles where we choose core processes. Oh. So a lot of times people come up with yeah. like eight to 10 that, uh, core processes. And these are your core. And these are the ones that are going to run your firm. These are the engine of your firm. Uh-huh. And so we work through, you know, those core 10 processes. Yeah. And now did that, that's come, how we started. Did that come from the rocket fuel stuff, the traction stuff? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah yep. Cause I, cause when that I was reading traction. this, I go, this kind of sounds cause in, cause what that's the traction action where they that's like, right. they, they're like, in, in the book. yeah. And they don't, they have even words for that. Like, uh, like millstones or, uh, you know, monument, uh, or <laughs> no. no, there was something, come on. <laughs> Core process. No core process. Don't you have like a milestones or some kind of rock sort of wording in that? Yeah. <laughs> rocks. It's yeah, rocks. There are, it's rocks. Ro- it is rocks. Yeah. It's rocks. Okay. Yeah. Is that yeah. the same those thing? Are the, those are the 90 day goals. Oh, basically. those are the 90 yeah. day goals. Okay. So I, yeah. you can tell I need to go through traction training because <laughs> I don't know what rocks are. But, but y'all, what? Julie and I know we know traction, so we teach teach traction. So never fear. We know it. I'm supposed to, too. We've interviewed several of the people who are like – like deep <laughs> in the whole traction thing. I'm going to uh, let's cut all that part out as well. Just kidding. We'll keep going. <laughs> well, and here's the key. When you do choose a key core, a core process, like uh, the one that really pisses you off the most, uh-huh. you, what, what you're doing is you're, you're picking the one process that you're getting the most value and bang for, for your buck, yeah. you know, because he's going to walk you through stuff to do. And I, I imagine a lot of people, if they read this article, they're going to be like, Oh my gosh, I got to do that for every process. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know, they might get annoyed, but you, you get huge benefits from building processes. Yeah. You get scalability. That's what you get. Right. Well, um, and, it's, sure. and it seems like even, even if you're not, I mean, this is, this is my guess. Tell me if you think I'm wrong, but even if you're not trying to grow your firm, it, it, having ha, like analyzing your processes is going to just make your life easier so that you're not, well, and that's the thing you, there's the whole concept of management by exception where it's like you go along and when something blows up, that's when you fix it. And the, this yeah. is the complete opposite you're going, well, right. let's find something to fix right now because it's not optimized. So let's do that. Managing right. by exception sucks. And that's not a great way because then your whole life, you're just running around with your hair on fire trying to put out, you know, problems that, that cropped up. And this way you're actually being proactive to make your life better and, and not hate what you do. So that, that's right. That, that's right. That's hugely valuable in, in and of itself. Yeah. Uh, so the second, so the second step is discuss the existing process. And actually, you know what we found in our firm, uh-huh. we have larger clients that will build processes for. Oh, okay. And that's, I mean, man, p- clients will pay a lot of money for you to build their processes for mm-hmm. them, like their AR process or their AP process. And so the second step where Ian says, discuss the existing process, we take clients through that. The first meeting we go through is we say, Dump everything out of your brain. Tell us exactly how you do it now. Right. And isn't um, and isn't the key part of this one the team too? Because it's not just the yeah. owner. How do you because the owner's like, here's how it's supposed to be done. And then the team says, Well, actually, uh, that's right. <laughs> right. It right. Yeah. So you yep. And so that's what we're doing when we're working with the client, is we're getting the client actually 
uh, the, and the client's team to tell us the way they do things. Sometimes we'll interview the administrative person or the operations person. Yeah. Um, but that's true in your own firm. Um, when you build a process, do it collaboratively with your team. Yeah. That's that second step, he said. How, how often, I mean, it, it, is that, that can be pretty wildly different too. When the, when the person, when the owner is like, here's how this is supposed to happen. And sometimes the staff is like, oh yeah, we never do that because it doesn't work. That's, did that, did that ever happen to you with, uh, with your team? Or not? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. Well, I, I mean, you know, the, some of the first things we do, Julie and I made document processes in our own, you know, in our own way. But we, because we do, we know the strategy that that these things should follow. But we definitely need our team so much so that we've we've really we took one of the accountants on our team and made her a project manager. Oh, nice. And she she owns the processes now. So oh, okay. I know cool. Ian says update processes all the time, but. And he says annually, quarterly, but I, I mean, you do it daily, really. Right. So you like, got, you got somebody it, who that's it, their job is to, to update your processes. Yeah. And nice. it's so, I mean, that's, that's how, that's, that's how much we value processes right. is by creating a role that yeah. manages it. So now we're always going, bam, go through that in the process, bam, go through that in the process. Right. You can do that every day and you can go update it. And the team knows it, so the team works with her right. to keep our That's processes cool. fresh it's, and new. It's like you have a COO in your firm. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Right on. Okay. And that person, and so step three, what is success? How is it measured? And that's basically saying, okay, what is this process trying to do? And if it's working right, how are we going to know, right? That's right. And so there's a couple keys to that, right? Processes bring you a lot of things. Uh, one thing they bring you is scalability, which means so the the goal there is that the owner's not doing it. So somebody else is doing it the way the owner would do it. That's uh, one thing the processes can give you. Right. But it also drives huge. It may if okay if you build ten core processes in your firm over the next two or three years and you perfect those, your firm's value has doubled. Okay. Well, I mean, no, I don't know if double, but your firm's value goes up because now the firm is being run by somebody other than the owner. So right. it really increases your value yeah. and processes allow you, they make you more valuable because they can, you can ensure how you serve your client. You can ensure that everybody is serving all clients the same way, right. which that consistency makes you valuable. Gotcha. That told, that makes, that makes wonderful sense. Like big time, because you can't delegate crap when people don't know how to do the crap you're delegating to them. And you're not going right. to feel good about delegating it if they're not doing it the way you want them to. So obviously you got to, you got to have that. And those, those sorts of, uh, you know, what success, how's it measured? What are we really trying to do? Obviously that's kind of the bottom line for the whole thing. Um, that's right. And now this is the, then the next part is, is this seems where it gets pretty nuts and bolts. And I'm not sure, again, if Ian wanted to combine this with number two, it seemed like he could have, would have been a nice yeah. choice. We'll tell him about that off the, uh, the podcast, <laughs> uh, but, but it says step four is map out the as is processes and their variants. That's where you go. And you it's, that's what Julie had you do when she says, tell me everything right. you do. And then, but I think the variance is also talking about, well, like when you get to a certain step and you go, well, I, we usually do it like this, but sometimes we have to, and then you, you know, for, for some kind of workaround in particular situations, right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The, I mean, the variants are cool because, because it's true, right? When you're building processes, you can't account for everything, right? So, right. Um, and, so a lot of people build processes in different ways. Some will be very granular and detailed. They'll try to account for all variants. Okay. 
Some will be more high level, like one one firm, and it just depends on your preference. One okay. firm may build a 30-step process to doing accounting and then presenting those financials to the client, where somebody else may do a 10-step process. Mm -hmm. And it, it just depends on the team members running them, how comfortable you feel, because for the team, for the 10-step process, where this other firm has a 30-step process, the 10-step process, you just have to assume the team member is going to fill in the variance and the nuance in okay. between. Right. Now, or or you don't mind if they do, uh -huh. but if you really want to drive some serious service, uh, then you may want to try to map out in more of a granular way right. in a 30-step process exactly how each thing happens and give less nuance and gut you know, and variant management to the team right. by making the process. So it just, you just kind of depends on what you're going for. Yeah. Well, it seems like, well, here, here's the thing, and maybe this is getting off topic just a little tiny bit. Once you get your processes, like, obviously they're not going to be perfected because that's why you have to go back and look at them every, right. every six right. months. Uh, and, and, but, but when they're as close to perfect as you can get them for the current iteration, these processes, it's really part of your training for your, your staff, right? Oh, oh I mean, this, man. Is, yeah, this we, is, this is training. Oh yeah. This is training. So any process we build and anytime we teach it to a team member, we record it and we put it in a team training room and our online yeah. chat system, Okay, we bag it for each new person. So we have an onboarding, we have an onboarding process for new team members. That's very long and very detailed. Mm -hmm. Um, and one of those is to go tag all of the process training in our team training room for each new employee. So they can go read through it okay. the first month. Oh, or year. Gotcha. So you're right. The and, processes we built become the training for the next team. member. Right. And it seems like, and, and this is just me thinking the more, I guess you got the, the give and take of the more granular because the more granular you get, if I'm a new person trying to read, I'm going to go, Oh my God, I don't even know what they're talking about here when they, right. when they say, and you know, and if you're, if your client gives you a 1095A instead of a 1095C, then you need to, you yeah. know, it's like, wait, what? You know, not that there's a 1095C. No. I am an idiot, but not quite that big a one. Um, <laughs> well, but, I guess. But, but, well, you, and you also. But at the same time, the more granular it is, it seems like then you could, you could give it to somebody who's brand new and it should say everything that they possibly need to know. And I think that's the balance you're going to try to find with your process is go, we can't, right. we can't write a, a thousand page document that's going to take care of every single possibility that could happen. And, but we also no. don't want to just go do the job, dumb, dumb. And there's somewhere in between those two extremes where right. you're going to find the right process that feels right for your firm. That's right. And every new team member you add, every new team member adds to your culture. They also add a little seasoning to the way processes right. are done and they're going to come with new ideas and Perfect. thoughts and you want to listen to them and you're like, wow, that is a, that is a newer way to do it. At the other firm, you did this, maybe we could do that too. And so your processes grow and change just like the owners grow and change or yeah. the firm grows and right. change. The processes tweak and change over time. Uh, and that's okay. Um, and so then another step, uh, Ian says, is to review then the, these processes for inefficiencies. Right. And that 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 inefficiencies come a lot of times from doing things the way you've always done them. Mm -hmm. um, and that's one value of getting processes out of the owner's head, because owners uh, more than almost anybody are going to always do things the way they've always done it. Mm. But pulling a process out makes them challenge themselves mm. or allows the team to challenge that and right. go. You know, we don't have to do that anymore. Right. And we don't really realize it because habitually we're just doing what we've always done. Right. And that's, and that's really valuable 
to have, you know, and that it reminds me of, of one of the concepts that was in that uh, book Creativity Inc. that I discussed yeah. for our summertime book club, where he's he's really big on uh, candor, having candor among yeah. your team. And that's one of the, and and really you got to have people who are because when you're when you're presenting all this, if you just have people who are there to kiss your butt and make you feel good, they're not right. going to say, hey, uh, really, I think step number six, we can just not do that and we're good right but, right but so often it's just it's one of those things where i mean this just honestly happened to me last night with a comedy show that i just started producing where the guy mm. who runs the bar where we're running the show after he yeah. says he says hey you know it's your show you can do whichever you want but just a little little feedback there's this one thing you do i don't think you need to do that and it was and it was <laughs> almost and w- the weird thing for me i was like it was like relieving to me to have someone else <laughs> tell me that he thought i didn't need to do that because i'd kind of been questioning it and go but it's kind of cool and it kind of serves a purpose but him just going i, I don't know if you need that i think you could dump <laughs> that and the, the show would be just as good and no big deal and then i was like you know what we're doing we're dumping that step so, so come on being able to have that kind of relationships incredibly valuable so um, you can just mark it out mark steps out exactly. don't do them anymore. But, but but really i think i mean i think there's something to that where it's almost like but having that affirmation from a third party, whoever that may be, can really give you the confidence to go, yeah, I'm going to stop doing that thing I thought maybe I could stop doing. And somebody, nice. somebody just confirmed it. Good. Take it off the list. Your life's better. Uh, step yeah. number seven, create a 2B process with a sub team. Explain that to me, uh, Jason, because you do this. Well, yeah. So, well, because <laughs> well, I did I mention I'm in the cap, camp that does not have any formalized processes. I'm like the worst. <laughs> I'm the worst offender. Because you run stuff in your head and you do it so well, you know how to do well, it. And we've got you a, don't need to tell anybody. We've got a super small team too, so it's like I've got right. yeah. So I don't and and the other people are basically managing processes that are outside of the scope of my job. So we have to yeah. depend on each other that we're doing our jobs right and have our own processes. But yeah, so so I need you to teach me on number seven. Yeah. So on number seven, the two B process. Basically, you can build a process. So a lot of times you're building the original process from the way you do things now. Mm-hmm. So your, your processes reflect what you do now. But in order to kind of work out those inefficiencies, you can create a 2B process, one that just, if it was in a perfect world, what would it look like? Okay, yeah. And and what you, what you have to do is get your head in a new space. You got to say, all right, you got to take out of your head the fact that we do things the way we do it now. Uh-huh. Take that out of your head. Um, and we're going to build something brand new. Okay. It's a complete brand new thing. It's like, Pretend let's all walk in the room and act like we've never built a process, uh-huh. this particular process before. Let's build it from the ground up. Oh, like like uh, Shoshin. Yeah, Shoshin. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Refer back to episode number. Please insert proper episode number here, and you'll hear all about Shoshin <laughs> from the podcast. <laughs> Shane, put that in there, audio engineer. Okay. okay. This is awesome. But yeah, but number it's, eight. It's, wait, wait, but Shoshin. That means, and it's so funny because I don't remember what that translates to directly, but I know the idea is exactly what you just said. That's right. It, yeah, it's, fre- it's is it fresh eyes, new eyes? What's it? What's show? show? It's a beginner. It's a beginner's, beginner's mind. Beginner's mind. So, yeah, a, there you go. You approach everything with a whole, just brand new. It's like, all right, I've never done this before. Right. Approach it. And you and, can do that and build a process. And that's that's it. helpful to do that. So the as-is process is what we do now. You go through this. You get the two B processes. Here's the change we're going to bring about to get rid of the inefficiencies and make this a, a more effective process, right? 
That's right. And then, and then you got to test. You Step got, number eight is test. Test it. Now, now we're we're working through with our team right now a process we're going to build for a client. And they were on a call going, here's what we want it to do and here's what we hope it does. But remember, we're going to build it. It may not do that. And that would really suck right. if the clients pay to do it and you do it and go, you're going to love this. And they go, this is crap. This, it right. didn't happen. Right. So you 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 got to go in in it with a client or with your team going, y'all, this might not work. So let's run. Let's give some rough tests, you know, yeah. rough runs to this to see if it's going to work. Yeah, kind of a proof of concept. Let's uh, whatever the thing is that has to run through the process. You can at least talk it out with your team going, okay, let's make sure this to be process works. So let's say we get this work. Step one is this. Does that make sense? Step two, did we miss anything? Okay, good. It looks like at least on paper it works out. Or you can even like get a case study that you throw through your machine at your firm right. to, and, and go, okay, if we followed the steps just like they are here as if we were just dum-dums and, and all we could do is read directions. Did it work out right? Yeah, it worked out right. So we're good. Or no, we, we have some gaps. We need to fill those in, right? Right. Okay. 40 seconds for the last two steps. Easy. These are easy. We already talked about them. You did. No, you did. On your internal uh, documentation, oh. you document oh. what the process is and you make, That's sure, number nine. you make sure it's clear. You make sure it's at the granular level that works for your firm and you send it out to everybody. And you make sure everybody knows about it and that their questions are answered about it. Boom. Did I get it right? You did it. Cool. Boom. Now, number 10 is iterate and optimize. And and I know in Ian's article, he said, hey, you can't just update processes annually. You got to do it quarterly. We do it daily. <laughs> he says every six months. Okay. <laughs> so you you just upped his game by, by you just doubled it. And then you, well, you, then you 365'd it. So right there, that's what I did. Yeah. And I bet Ian yeah. would agree too. He he's he's kind of writing for the broad profession, but I bet with a tool like Carbon, you're always updating right. the checklists and, and how things work. Right. Well, and again, I think a big thing for iteration and optimization is also making sure that there is that uh that communication loop within your firm and the culture where people can come to you and say, Hey boss, there's this one step in the process. I'm yeah. I'm always having to do something different different. I think we need to make this a better step. And if you've got that communication, that feedback, that's, that's part of iteration and optimization. You try it, you tweak it, you try it again, still not perfect. Tweak it again, try it, tweak it. And eventually it's optimized. Yeah. Yeah. And you, yeah, you do. Yeah. Culture and what your team thinks of you and you being a great leader has a lot to do with people giving you feedback on the processes, being collaborative and building those, making them better. All of that is part of um, is part of building great processes, but we got to get Ian, but just, you know, just firm owners, we want to say building eight to 10 core processes. And really you're going to spend about a year building those probably. Uh, and then another year tweaking those, they really have to get really deep embedded into your firm. Mm -hmm. You have to communicate those in team meetings, uh, and constantly remind people. Um, and then you got to follow up on these processes. When you launch them, you announce them, you give them to the team. You got to follow up because they're going to not follow them all the time. <laughs> right. They're going to, right. Yeah. They, they switch to the habits and uh -huh. you got to, you got to come back and go, Hey, we, we said we're going to do steps four through six now. Uh -huh. Really? So we got to do that. And so you got to stay on it, but what it's going to do, it's going to standardize your firm, make it more valuable. And you're going to start scaling and growing and it's going to stop overwhelming you. And things like your email box will stop filling up as much. Liar! You are liar. such a liar, Jason Plummer. I'm not. I swear. <laughs> I swear. Right on. Okay. Cool. I okay. believe you. I trust you, man.
So that's all. Well, here's the thing too. Let me say this. If you got eight to 10 processes to, to, to formalize and to document, um, don't get overwhelmed by that. Start with one. And, and like, and like, uh, we've been saying, you're going to see so much benefit from doing this process to that one, that one thing that pisses you off the worst that then you'll go, then you'll get the bug and you go, Oh yeah, we do need to do this for our, for our biggest things. And then no one will email me again. And then you will have won. (laughs) <laughs> that's right because right. that, okay. that's what you said no one will email you yeah. ever again ever that's what i said perfect market down. perfect right on let's get ian right. to come and really tell come us on. what to do All right, ian. <laughs> this thrivecast is sponsored by thompson reuters tax reform is here with new rules and big expectations for your firm now's the time to turn reform uncertainty into opportunity Start with a solutions partner who shares your passion for getting it right. Power smoother workflows, improve client service, achieve better results, and develop the capacity to fully realize new revenue opportunities with CS Professional Suite, OnVO, and Checkpoint. All the integrated software, comprehensive research, editorial insight, and productivity tools your firm needs. To learn more, check out the link in the podcast show notes or call 1-800-968-8900 and mention Thrival for special promotional discounts. Okay, now we have the master, Ian Basin. He's actually going to redo all the bullcrap Greg and I came up with in the first part of our podcast. Right, Greg? That's, that's right. Since you're the expert, Ian. By the way, welcome. Where, where are you actually physically located right now? I always like to know that. I'm located actually at my house. I've been on the road for the last two weeks in Australia, uh, and I'm happy to finally be back in my own house after a month being on the road. Which is where? Is it in Butte, Montana? Oh, no, I'm in uh, the Bay Area, San Francisco Bay Area. That's right. Very good. Cool. Butte, Montana. (laughs) We're going to be talking to you about optimizing processes for uh, capacity management, and I just need to first off confess that I have never, ever worked anywhere in my whole life that has an intentional capacity management plan. and I'm pretty I thought they sure. didn't have a capacity plan, Greg. It was to keep you fully occupied so you couldn't get in trouble. Right. Well, is that you? you did, did you ma- is- mean to send me a coloring book so I wouldn't actually talk during the podcast? <laughs> we, <laughs> yeah, but I forgot to send the crayons. Yeah, I know. However, we do a lot of capacity planning in our firm, and so I'm going to learn a lot from Ian. So, Ian, to do that, I, we have to ask you to define what the heck capacity planning is and why firms need to be listening to somebody talk about capacity planning, whatever that is. Well, to go for the definition, because you're going for the juggler right up front there, Jason, it's the uh, process of determining the resources, both on a time and on a people side of things, that ultimately helps the firm uh, meet the changing demands for its services. So if you think about that, it's not only for the needs of today, but it's the needs of tomorrow. So we can cover both sides of it, which is capacity planning uh, can be on the longer term, like demand forecasting. And then again, the uniqueness within our profession, it's also the short term, which I put as more of a pool production system. So right. we're going to nerd out a little bit here, I think, in the next, what, 20, This is going to be a nerd, nerd section of the podcast. So. <laughs> totally. Because you, you guys are super nerds. And let me just make sure that it was clear. When I was talking about how I've never worked anywhere with an intentional capacity management plan, <laughs> I wasn't like taking a dump on the idea of capacity management planning, I, because that obviously is much better way to run any business than just kind of going, yeah, I think we can take more work, which is really 
kind of where I live more than I should. And I'm going to guess that there's a lot of our listeners who are there too, who are just like, you just kind of do it by feel and by gut. And this is going to put a lot more like uh, actual structure behind. That's what I'm hoping, right, Ian? Well, I think mostly, you know, people look around, they see whether or not the staff, which which person is going to lose their mind first. And that's the identification of capacity planning gone wrong. Okay. (laughs) Well, and I guess I guess one thing it's important to point out is that all firms deal with a limited capacity. Right. We we all have humans working in our firms. And so they have a limited ability to. To, to give themselves to work at different varying times, right? Well, uh, and so that that's the, that's why we even need to talk about it, right? Yeah, I think that the the so my background being that I came from supply chain management a long time ago, and I'm an industrial engineer, so I I really nerd out on this stuff. I'm yeah. the person that gets really frustrated in the TSA line when I'm seeing like eight oh. different options for us to go through, and we've corralled through one person to get oh. to the eight. And you're sitting there wondering why those cues are not even moving when they should. Um, so that's kind of where my background is. The interesting, really, really big interesting thing about the accounting profession, everybody that's on the Thrivecast right now, is it is an industry dealt with and fraught with a lot of seasonality. So yep. you may think that you have the right capacity, but because it comes in these large spikes, whether or not you're even in tax, it can also just be in the fact that you've got a business and you take in a bunch of new prospects because they usually come in droves. Mm. You ultimately have to understand how you're going to service those folks because your capacity isn't going to keep up with that demand that just came in. That's right. And it's really important when if, if you get these load of clients coming in all at one time and your capacity is not what it should be, now you're going to start dealing with service-related issues and you're going to start getting some unhappy clients like really fast. Unless you've done capacity plan, just bring full back circle and you understand what your service model is going to be and what your time to delivery is, it can be quoted as. Because what you want to do at that point is set expectations correctly on mm-hmm. what you can do and when you can do it and how you can do it. Because then that ultimately resets that client relationship and puts everything on the right path versus saying, yeah, we usually can do this in 30 days or we typically do this in 90. And then you end up doing it in twice the amount of time. Right. Mm. And this has got to, and there's, there's repercussions for all this stuff too, with your staff, because obviously I've got to assume that a lot of this is also, you got your partner or whoever's out there selling your services. And they're just thinking every time they get somebody to say, yes, they ring the bell and they don't often look out into the field of cubicles to see how many (laughs) people are like, you know, taking a, you know, that are, that are struggling because you're (laughs) overburdening them. And then you lose some of your key employees and you go, why that happen? Oh, we didn't have the capacity and I was burning my people out. Well, I like that there's an image that I generally use when I talk about this and it shows this person trying to shove what is probably two vacations worth of clothes into one suitcase that can only hold one vacation's worth of clothes okay. and they just keep trying to shove it in. And that's the staff. They just keep getting it shoved into their face. Yeah. And ultimately they end up leaving because they just right. can't deal with it anymore. Right. Exactly. Well, so so Ian, tell us what's what are obvious signs that capacity management is not happening? Like generally you signs? start seeing attrition of the staff. <laughs> you know, a lot of folks don't actually have a proper system for that or a way to properly visualize it. So the best thing to do is to look to see where, you know, in the old world, we'd look to see where the paper was stacked up. You would ultimately yeah. find mm-hmm. that, let's say you're doing tax processing, it always mm-hmm. fall on the partner's desk where there's all these reviews that have to be done and none of them pro- have progressed. Though they're the ones that actually created 
all that work coming into queue, they're not moving it out of the queue and it just keeps backing up and backing so up. bottlenecks, I guess. Yeah. The other, I mean, when you talk about the bottlenecks, you probably look at somebody's email that's con- con- continually getting worse and worse and worse because mm-hmm. they're getting further and further behind. Um, if you're a little bit more scientific, you could look at NPS. Um, you can start seeing which customers are getting impacted more. Um, but the reality is, is if you had your processes map and you had them built in stages, you'll see the bottlenecks appearing in different stages of the work. Like you might go from prepping it to processing it to analyzing to review to then back out the door. And again, if you group it up, you'll start to see which in, which sort of pool of resources are getting swamped based on where that's that that particular bunch of work is is getting itself uh, hung up on that you know whatever that process might be. Okay, so you, you talk see, about, I'm learning now, Greg. Just yeah. that's for you. No, that's Listen, good, and I like it. Uh, yeah. Who and if y'all read this article we link up that Ian wrote, it is you. Yeah, you'll go. Yeah, he's an engineer, right? <laughs> well, it's like, and and with that, super like, super nerdy. When we're talking about, because I, I remember back to like my, um, you, you know, I can't pro, pro, project management classes that I took uh, in school, and this was a lot. You know, bottlenecks and critical paths were things that I once knew and no longer do. Uh, but but one of the things you say in your article is that bottlenecks will that, that basically they'll you you'll know where the bottlenecks are and i want to know will you <laughs> yeah because it's, it, you will because ultimately it's where you get frustrated it's uh when you're let's say you're the owner of the partner you keep finding uh, where work is not getting it's not moving through and you're getting frustrated because you think it should move faster and so there's an inherent un, you know you when you go home at night you have a, you have a gut instinct of where it would be you know, in the situation of if you if you have a defined set of work, tax is really easy for this. You mm-hmm. literally can start to see where when the work is entering in, you start to see these long delays. And you know that the work doesn't take that long to complete, but it's coming out of that process or that section of it much slower than it should, or it's coming out in big, huge, you know, groupings. And so you'll see, you know, someone processing it through. In order to get through faster, they start doing multiple projects at the same time that are the same type of work. Um, and so there's different ways you can see it, but you inherently will know because it'll frustrate you to no end. Okay. Gotcha. The problem really comes back to you'll address one bottleneck and it will shift. It will move. So it'll mm-hmm. move to a different part of the process. So mm-hmm. it's this constant process or this constant game of whack-a-mole right. where you mm-hmm. whack the bottleneck and it pops up somewhere else. So it's never ending. Gotcha. And one way, one way you talk about this is, uh, I think in the article, you actually talk about mapping this out on sticky notes on the wall, building swim lanes. And then, then you talk about, you know, find the critical path. So what are some of those nerdy ways you find these, these processes so that you can streamline or at least see where capacity is needed in some of these paths or what is a critical path? So on the critical path, that's, you know, in a situation where your processes touch multiple people and they could go through multiple departments or they could, um, they could go different ways to the organization to get out the other end. You may have multiple people who could review. You may have one person who's actually doing some sort of analysis. The critical path is the exact path that is the minimum number of steps to go from start to end. There may be other things that might happen, like you might need to collect information from a client that could be going on in parallel because you might not need that information to the end. That's not part of the critical path. The critical path is the series that has to occur in order for it to end out. And that's what defines the duration of time a total process goes from start to finish. Uh, And so it's a way to avoid looking at everything. That's the bottom line. It's like this is the minimum standard, the critical path. And so- 
If you look at that, you then look at each one of those steps, you figure out which one takes the longest amount of time. And that's where you want to start from a, from an easy standpoint um, in terms of knowing where you have the biggest impact on being able to bring that cycle time down <clears throat> for a given process. So if you mapped it out, you looked at each step along the process, that's why we typically use like sticky notes um, or we, we map it out with swim lanes and that type of stuff, which is we want to take every step of the process. We want to work with, a, with the team that actually does the actual work because they're the ones that really knows what happens. And we want to see, you know, what happens step by step, map it out, and then start to put time along it. I mean, we don't want to do time tracking, but we want to know relatively how long it takes to do each one of those steps. Because then it yeah. highlights where the biggest bang for the buck is for process improvement. Yeah. Like on a sticky note, would you write the time? Like this takes 15 minutes or something? Yeah, I typically would use the different corners of the sticky notes for different types of identifiers. But one okay. of the corners would be used to put the time. I would actually track time that someone says versus time it actually takes to do. So I actually will use a stopwatch, um, even though it might take a long time, because I actually want to know exactly how much it takes. And it's usually wow. quite different than what someone says. Very interesting. Now, I'm guessing firm owners are listening to this going, I'm not going to do this. <laughs> why won't Why won't they go in a conference room and take a day and and pick their biggest? You know, I mean, the tax process. Pick that. Sit the team down. Actually, put sticky notes on the wall. I mean, why won't they do that? Uh, we typically do like a quick a quick way to figure out which process to work on is um, you do it. In a, you do always do things in powers of three, but find out, look at all the processes that you have, and figure out which one annoys the crap out of you. So that's one, that's one determinant. So you okay. the, annoy the crap out of you. <clears throat> then you look at the one that actually ultimately drives the, ma <clears throat> the majority of your revenue. So you look to see how much of, oh, yeah. you know, of your, your revenue is flowing through the given processes overall. And then you ask the team which ones they think has the largest impact to change positively, meaning you can, you can reduce time on it. And if you look at those three buckets and you look and see which one is the most prevalent or which one pops up the most in those three, you have your process. And generally, that'll narrow it down pretty quick. Nice. And the team knows. They're, they oh. need to be in the room. They know what's going on. Yeah, if you're doing process improvement, you want to have a cross-functional team. Otherwise, you'll do all the work at the end of the day. This goes to some of the change management. Um, they're not going to accept what you what you come out with. They have to be involved. Mm. So, here's, right, so here's a question oh, go ahead. That, that I've got. To, to, is you, In your article, you talk a lot about push versus pull for your planning strategies. And yep. I, and I kind of, I, I, I'm, and that's when I, there's two things that made me feel like a dummy reading your post. One of them was push versus pull. The other one was the word lodgement. Um, so between those two things, <laughs> I figured probably the most important thing to ask you about in the podcast was push versus pull strategies. What the hell are, what the hell, and what the hell are they? And isn't everybody really, if I do understand them, doesn't everybody really just use a pull strategy at the end of the day? Well, let's dislodge your uh, concerns around push and pull. Uh, oh. oh, that's a bad joke. I'm a father, by the way, so you get to deal with it. Um, yeah, so push versus pull. So the reality is when you're in the moment doing the work, it's a pull strategy, meaning that that's why if you look at you know our product, but you look at other products out there that are doing um, on workflow, they're generally using like maybe a Kanban style view or a car view. This all yeah. came from Toyota back in the day. And the yeah. idea there is you shouldn't put any new work into a system until work has come out the other end. 
Because it's a pretty clear process about because it's not it doesn't take a, a huge amount of time to complete it. You're able to quickly and and with very you know there's a mathematical equation. I'm not going to bore you guys with it, but you can ultimately know exactly when something can enter the system and leave it based on the flow of the work. And so your easiest way to do it is to just have cards, and the number of cards that the system can handle is really based on the the amount of time that your team has to spend on it. And you can quickly get to a number of how many pieces of work can be worked on any time. So if something gets completed, you bring something else in. Now, does um, that does that come back to this? Because I remember back in the days when I was doing tax work just on the reg, and I would I'd get I'd get through a tax return as far as I could, then I get stuck because I'd be at some kind of bottleneck where I'd be waiting for somebody else. But I don't want to just sit at my desk sitting on my hands. So I'd get another tax return. I'd start doing that till I got to where I got stuck, and then I'd get another one and I'd go with that till I got stuck, and then. Next thing I know, I have like a million tax returns that I've done like <laughs> the first two or three steps on. And then and then when I have to go back and pick one up, I go, now, where was I? And it takes me just as long to get caught up with where I was at. So I was really wasting my time by starting them. Is that kind of the same thing we're talking about here? You literally just described the whole capacity planning equation in one very succinct way. Because <laughs> oh, okay. you're doing right. a full production on that. You're pulling in the work, right? But you're the bottleneck. Right? It's yeah. not you. It's the person after you, which happens to be the reviewer, which is typically uh, the partner. And right. your work is piling up, and it's just getting bigger and bigger and right. bigger. Or it's the client is passing. I felt like it was a client a lot of times where it's like, I can get this far and that's like, Oh, they, they didn't give me this one thing. And so then I'd go, okay, I got to wait for them. And so I'll just start this next client. And that's, right. yeah, but it was somebody, yeah, there was some kind of bottleneck that was happening and then everything was backing up. And then I had all these half baked, you know, tomatoes on my desk. Cause that's what we call them at my firm is half baked tomatoes. I don't know what you use, but that's <laughs> just the, yeah. But ironically, if you think about that particular scenario, right. And let's say it was the customer was the bottleneck, which can happen, right? Yeah. It would be probably less expensive for me to hire an admin whose one sole job is to nag every one of those customers or those clients to give you the piece of information that you're missing. Because every time you get to a point where you stop it and then you have to come pick it up later, once you've magically known that that information came in, you have to recreate almost everything you're doing to get yeah. back to where you were. Right. And wow. so you're better off then from a capacity situation figuring out how – if my bottleneck is the customer, how do I trim off all that time and make sure that's addressed as quickly as possible? Right. So, and basically that sounds like it's more of, I mean, and again, I don't totally know what I'm talking about, but more like almost like a valve system where you say, okay, this client doesn't get to go past this certain point until we've done steps A, B, C, and D, and we're going to wait. And that's going to be kind of in, in the suspended animation till that happens. Then we'll release the valve and it'll go to the next step. Is that... Is that right or is that wrong or is that just what I was talking about before with starting a client and not getting very far? Yeah, that's a, that's what you were starting starting that's what you were talking about previously. So in the but, case that you're talking about, the valve would never be opened until it actually had gone out of the system completely. So you so shouldn't even pick chamber, up. Yeah. Like the next chamber needs to be open before that first valve can be released. I don't know. Maybe my Or you have to have confidence that next chamber is going to open by the time that that tax return in that situation is ripening in your tomato model and, uh, and was able to go in there from your desk to the next stage. Okay. So it doesn't have to be open at that moment, but it has to be open at the point when you're going to get to that moment. Okay. And and that's the Kanban model you're explaining. That's the Kanban in, in, pull model. That, and firms don't really work that way. We have to just keep moving and working on stuff. No, so you can. So here's a good example. So I'll do this with folks where we'll map out their tax process and we'll say, okay, we'll look at all the different steps. Let's say it takes two weeks, right? So you know that you've got all of your, let's say it was your individual tax return. So 1040 is due on April 15th. 
And you know it takes two weeks to complete. So what you do then is you create all the work that you're going to need to do for the entire season and set it to start on April 1st. And then you do all of your client requests to get the information that you need starting on January 1st. And as that information is rolling in, you're pulling in or you're going to start working on those tax returns that start to flow in, let's say around January 16th or February 2nd. And you're now draining out all that work that's already prepped and staged ready to go. And so you're going to keep pulling it into the system as it becomes available until you hit the capacity of the system. And at that point, you start to make determinations on what things are going to have to be extended, put them on extensions, versus those things are going to be able to complete within that two-week process time. Does that make sense? And, and that's the, yeah, and that's the importance of the capacity planning because as you, you're, you're pulling in all this tax work, you got to pull it into some type of capacity and you've got to know what that capacity is. That's exactly right. To, to be able to do that or... Or the other model, which most firms do, is they just load up their team. Yep. And that goes <laughs> to the other side. Load up and burned out. Yeah, and that goes to the other side of capacity planning. So if, if we went from a pull production to a push production system, which a lot of people do, the only way to succeed in a push production is to be doing demand forecasting and then loading up staff pretty quickly and then removing them pretty quickly. So if I knew that I did 500 tax returns last year, and I know that each one of those takes two weeks to complete. And I know each person's job and how much of that tax return they own uh, and how much, you know, how long it takes of that 14 days to complete each one. I can then create a model that says, okay, if for step one, it takes X amount of time. I've got this many people. Um, it's going gonna, it's gonna to require this much manpower to be able to do this between, you know, January and April. The problem with that is, all that work is coming into the system all at once, which means you have to staff up really, really aggressively. So the demand forecasting mm -hmm. is good to get a relative sense of the number of bodies, but you can't manage it in season properly because you will never be able to have enough bodies on the ground to get it done. It's just too expensive. Mm. So, all right. So let me run you through the structure of a firm and see how this relates to capacity planning. Sound good? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. All right. So, so a lot of firms, clients come in. They know the partner. The partner divvies out the work to the team. So that's one model. And and I think our model might be different. We we onboard a client and then we do a kickoff meeting and we hand them off to a team that's led by a CPA. And so the CPA with the team, with the, with the accounting specialist, the bookkeeper, uh, and the project manager, that CPA leads that work. And so then me and my partner, we go onboard another client. And then we hand them off again. And so we're always handing off relationships, so to speak. Does does the structure of a firm change how you manage capacity management? And I think you mentioned that's horizontal versus vertical yep. type structures or something like yeah, that. Yeah, a horizontal firm means you have a bunch of uh, you have a bunch of generalists that can take any particular piece of client work that comes in and they're gonna jump on it, or it could be a, a, a small team, right? And they're able to fully meet the needs of that that particular engagement. Um, and so when you hand off the work, it's whatever the processes are going to be, they're going to own it fully. And it's going to go from start to finish with that particular person or, or a small team in a mm -hmm. vertically oriented firm. That's where you have departments. That's like where you were at, Greg, where you've got people who do bookkeeping, payroll, um, tax, and there's these large number of bodies that sit in there. And unfortunately, mm -hmm. when the work comes in, it might be handed between those different departments. And so you need to know roughly, you know, that becomes a much more difficult sort of capacity planning, but you also have more resources to spare. And so in your case, Jason, what you have is your balancing of your workload is dealt by the underlying teams that you have available. Every time you get a piece of work in, you're looking to see relatively how many 
pieces of work are in each team's queue. So if team one had five and team two had seven and team you know three had nine, you wouldn't put that new piece of work on the team that had nine. You'd probably put it on the yep. five. And again, each one of those has a relative time to complete, but the quantity that each team is holding is relatively easy enough to be able to determine where you're going to place it. That's the non-scientific yep. way of doing that. Well, and right now we use a lot of gut too, because we know our team, you know, we're a team of 13, we're small. So we kind of know where they stand, how much time they have. Can they take on a couple more clients? Well, this one's big, so maybe you can only take one. So it's really more of a gut that Julie and I go through. And it's a lot of talking. You know, we spend time with our team going, where are you at? Could you do this next month? Here's what we've got coming down the pipeline for new leads. And we just kind of talk through it, but it's, you know, it's a little more gut driven. Um, but I think there could be more science to it, it sounds There's like. a lot more science to it. So, I mean, it goes to you're using um, people's inclination of what they think um, versus yeah. that you're, you're telling a client that they're, you know, the end date might be such, but it's so much wiggle room in there versus if you actually knew all the tasks that were going to be done for somebody across all the pieces of work that they have, you'd know exactly how much time is in their queue and you can compare that to the number of hours that they have available. And then the only other metric you need to put in there is how much time they're going to waste doing other things like email and administrative, because that's going to bring their total available time down. And so if you had mm. those things understood, you could know whether or not you're handing a particular piece of work to somebody or that team, whether or not they truly do have the capacity to make it happen within the time frame you're looking at. Well, what if, what if, you, what if you said, okay, and, I, and, I, and we experienced that you're right, you can ask a team member, what, what do they feel their capacity is? And they can state it, and they're typically not fully accurate <laughs> because they don't even know all the things that may get in their way. But could you, so would you say, what is your capacity team member? And this team member says, I'm going to give this firm 30 hours a week. Do you fudge down like 10% and say, we know you're going to waste 10% of it. You don't know that, but we know you are. Um, and do you, do you wipe off some of that as a fudge factor? And then you go, all right, their capacity is actually 27 hours. Yeah. I mean, if you're doing it from that sort of standpoint, and again, this goes to a little bit of just the, the capacity of the individual, you know, you're going to find that roughly you're going to lose about 40% of the individual's time. Ugh. Yeah. Mm. From uh, everything. 40%. <laughs> Because that's they, a lot of freaking Jesus money. Like, I want a refund. What is going on? What? Well, there's these. You know, we could go into products that are going to help you bring some of that sixty, <laughs> that forty percent that you lose back. But that's for a different discussion. <laughs> but the reality is, is email sucks up a lot of time. You know, ultimately, you know, you got to take in the fact that people have to eat. Um, you have to take in the fact <laughs> yep. that there's meetings to be had. So I know Jason, you're not you're not a big huge meeting person, but a lot of firms are. Um, then there's like TPS reports that have to be done on Friday for those of you uh, like office space out there. I mean, there's all sorts of crazy stuff that people have to do that don't add value. Um, they might, they well, might provide you know, visibility, um, and they might make people feel comfortable, but they're not really adding value to the client. Well, you know, we, we love, we love meetings as long as they're defined and they have a, have a real valuable purpose. And so that's fine. But I think what you're saying is a team member will state 30 hours. You've got to carve out of that admin time, eating time, like even brain switching time, right? They're switching yeah, yeah. tasks yep. and they're, and we have a virtual team. So they're in their home switching tasks and they're a distraction. So you got to account for all of these things. So you can know truly, uh, and you know, team meetings, team collaboration. So now you're going to end up with 60% dedicated fully to client service, I guess is what you're saying. And you're saying you have to know these things 
so you can run your firm. That's well. exactly right. And I mean, if you if you just look at if you were to take your team and you think back, Jason, to to your team members, right? Your junior folks that the the people that have just come in are going to overstate the amount of time they have available and what they can get done in that time. If you look at your really mm. senior folks, they're going to understate. They're going to sandbag because they've been burned so many times previously that they're not going to be as confident <laughs> that they can get that done as fast as you think it might. And so you even have these sort of human you know, factors that play in estimations. And so that's why it's better to not even use the estimations, but to use data. If you use data, then you're going to get to a much better endpoint. But the problem is most firms don't have uh, the systems or the capabilities or even um, the, the wherewithal. They haven't had a Thrivecast where they've even <laughs> approached these issues. Right. Sure. That makes sense. Well, and so maybe that leads us to the whole idea of gap analysis, because like you said, and and even in your article and with your background uh, in industrial engineering, I'm sure that you have very, very technical ways of calculating a gap analysis so that you have, you know, some hard numbers to back up. And even what, like a gap analysis, I guess I didn't even you know, there's probably some listeners are like going, what is that? That's where you go. My capacity is, is this much and our ability and the amount of work that we have is this much. And there's a gap between those two, right? Yeah. 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 So and, if you were doing like a demand forecasting, you would say, okay, well, how much, you know, how much capacity do we really have and how much supply are we really trying to, are we trying to tackle? So if I, if mm. I have this many bodies and I have a well-defined process, I could take 300 tax returns, but I could look last year and say, well, crap, you know, we did 500. Well, the reality is look at how many extensions you had to do. The extensions yeah. are the capacity that you, that you didn't have in the system at that time or the inefficiency of the system overall. So on a tax side, it's actually pretty easy. You just look at the fact of the stuff you couldn't actually get through. Um, if you're dealing with ongoing services, though, like bookkeeping, payroll, um, you know, advisory, and those types of things, then you start to look at, you know, it's harder to see that, and you might start looking at other indicators like um, staff overtime, um, how many hours each person's working, in order to facilitate the type of work that was going through. That's an easy indicator. Gotcha. So, okay, so those are like maybe just some some easier gap analyses that are just kind of in your face, where it's like, how many tax returns did we extend last year? Let's try to extend few, fewer this year, and how do we have to get there? Or maybe if it's not, I mean, tax might be the simple thing. Maybe it's a if it's an assurance engagement, you'd go, okay, how many? Here, here's what we promised in terms of our when we'd have our deliverable how many of those did we miss our date that we promised for the deliverable and it's like let's let's reduce that and get these things is that is am i right or am i wrong you are right i'm just saying you need to look at the equation a little bit more broadly because let's say you go to the assurance example yeah. uh, most firms pride themselves on client service and delivery on time right the okay, problem yes. with that is what happens is, is they put all this pressure on the underlying staff to get them to get the work out when it was said to be done. And that uh -huh. is at the, uh, the risk and at the right. uh, you know, loss of you – know, where people are losing weekends or staying really late. And those yeah. have a huge human impact on the firm overall. Right. Gotcha. So yeah. So, so even though that might be a, an easy way to do it, you might be missing some of the actual capacity problems that you have if you're just looking at deadlines and things like that. Cause that's exactly you right. Burning, you might be burning some of your best people by getting, even getting where you had got to before. Yep. That's exactly okay. right. So what are, what are some good uh, strategies to bridge these, to, to, to bridge your gaps when you have them? I think the first one uh, is really to have a real heart-to-heart -heart with the team 
And, you know, as an owner to sit down and let the staff be heard on what are the things that they're facing, their frustrations, um, what are the problems that they had um, during the season or even ongoing, because a lot of that sentiment points to where the problem might be. And it starts to give you some indications of how bad the problem is. Um, if people aren't opening up, you might be a hard, it might be hard to get the data because one of the things you need to really understand is how long does each process, each service that you deliver, how long does it really actually take to complete? And mm. it's not, it's not, has, it doesn't have to be super scientific. It can be horseshoes um, where you're getting close to the target, but you need to understand roughly a tax return takes X number of days, you know, doing payroll takes, you know, it may take three days to complete end to end, but the reality is that we're taking four hours to actually get one of these things done. And then if you have that basic set of facts, you can then start to look at your volume in the business and take each volume, you multiply it by the process times that you have, and you now start to bring together what is the total amount of capacity required to service what you have and how much do you may have left to play with. And you look then and compare it to the number of hours and an honest view of the number of hours that your staff have to give, and you can right. start to see how big the discrepancy is. Yes, and that and that that that's something also because we because in terms of the eighty five percent to ninety percent mark of capacity because that's that's something that I remember Ron Baker talking about from like I think the first time I ever met yep. him was was you don't want to be at one hundred percent you want to try to hit eighty five to ninety five and part of that I guess I hadn't thought about this before but part of that is if your estimates are if you're shooting for eighty five percent and your estimates are wrong, you might still be at 90 or 95%, but you're not at 100, even if you're way off from your 85%, right? Yeah. So most people, they'll try to get to 100, right? And they end up at yeah. 120. So right. the reason yeah. why Ron, I mean, Ron says that for multiple different reasons, because his is yeah. really in terms of, well, you know, you want to, you can charge people more and get more people on the plane. You, you have first class open. But in the right. case of really capacity planning, everyone's estimates are off. Um, only where the estimates be correct is if I took a handful, like a couple dozen practices and I put all that together, then I'm dealing with the law of large numbers and I've sure. got some off one way, some off the other, and it'll work itself out. But right, in a singular right. practice, everyone's estimating incorrectly. Only try to fill capacity up to 85%. Yeah. And then, and, just- and yeah. And then there's other benefits that come from that. Like you said, you can, if somebody is, in your firm and they're an existing client and they want to be served to a greater extent, then you have the capacity to actually take, make, make that happen. I think the biggest thing is you're going to have a happy staff that's, that's, that's able to, to have a good, you know, have a good lunch. They're actually able to sit down and eat instead of stand over the sink. Uh, and that's, <laughs> that sort of thing's going to pay some dividends too. In all seriousness, uh, if you slow down, you can ultimately move faster. So. If you're able to take the, the system that's overworked and you just took a pause, what will happen is each person in that team will then be able to ultimately recover from being so overweighted to then ultimately being able to work faster through what they were doing beforehand. I mean, a good example right. of this, mm-hmm. each of you, don't, go, don't get your six or eight hours of sleep that you get every night. Run it four hours, for, four hours a night for about four days. And your productivity is going to just completely disintegrate over time until you get right. a couple of good nights sleep and you'll do what you were doing beforehand twice as fast. Right. Totally. Mm. Yeah. Very cool. Good. Well, we're, we're out of time. This is, oh. this is like, this is some nerding out stuff, man. And it, I mean, and one, one takeaway for me is that it, to do all this right, it takes a lot of data collection. So somebody has got to be getting data, 
putting it in systems, tracking it in systems like carbon. So you can know the, you got to know stuff about your firm to be able to run your firm. Well, you got to know stuff. Yeah. Right? I mean, um, and again, uh, I'm happy to talk. I, I, I can nerd out anytime. You know, one place I am going to nerd out with Jason is at Thrival Deeper Weekend. Mm. What? So. That's right. <laughs> what? He's coming. Oh, wait. He's coming. Wait, you mean Deeper Weekend 2018? 2018. <laughs> yeah. That's the one that just, this is, this, that, that just ended. Uh, because this, <laughs> this this podcast we already went this, over this before you got here this podcast uh, actually yeah. drops after deeper weekend so <laughs> we i already made that mistake and so everybody that's listening you missed you missed oh Ian. you didn't you, and you're you, know, you know what you should have we'll follow up <laughs> that's right and you should have seen what Ian put on right. his head and danced well, on the table. Really you, you totally missed that. I think that. Ian just booked himself for Deeper Weekend 2019. Is 2019. What I, you so. know, 2018 was so good. 2019. got to come back. There you go. Better. There you go. That's it. Okay. Ian, thanks for, for nerding out with us. You always provide some deep content, man. Yeah. Deep stuff. Blowing our, blowing our heads up. Yep. Thanks. So thank you for coming. Perfect. And thank you for being at Deeper Weekend in the past. <laughs> yeah, Thank right on, man. Guys. Thank you so much. Okay. All right, we'll see you. Bye-bye. Oh, man, that was amazing. We nerded out on that podcast with Ian, man. Totally did. Lots to process and maybe one you need to re-listen to on like half speed so that you can get all the all the stuff. Uh, yeah, I, I, I can't say I'm not a little bit overwhelmed by all the stuff that you need to do to do yeah. processes and capacity management right. Am I, is that That's just right. me or is that you too? Do you get overwhelmed no, it, by that it, stuff? It, it, can, it can be a big, it can be a big deal, but you, you just got to take it in bite-sized chunks. So, um, so as we're wrapping up here, we just want to say thanks, Ian. Um, you know, I know this podcast drops after deep weekend, but Ian was there and we're so pumped to have carbon as a, as a, a team, as a partner of thrival. It's very cool to have them. Um, and Greg, how do people find you and listen to you online or um, follow you? The best way is, well, actually really the best way to do that is just Google Greg kite, spell the last name with a Y instead of an I. And you find everything about me, Twitter at Greg kite. It's all pretty straightforward. Since my, my ancestors were such bad spellers, it really makes me stand out in the internet age. What about, what about you, Jason? <laughs> Probably the best way is Twitter, Jason M. Blummer. Or follow Thrival CPAs on Twitter. Uh, we're on the we're on the Facebooks. We're on the we're on the Instagram. <laughs> yep, yep. We're all on of all that. of those things. So exactly. You can, you can just search Thrival or Jason Blummer, and you're gonna you're gonna bump into me. Find all that um, stuff. We do. Yeah. Uh, if you listener, please go check out the show notes because there actually should be a link on the show notes already for Deeper Weekend 2019. So go yes. on there, check that out. There'll be information at least, and if not, if not, a full on way to already register for next year's Deeper Weekend. So go about go and check that out. Um, Jason, Facebook Live, they're going to find you on Mondays at 2? Yeah, 2 p.m. Eastern Facebook Live. Um, you can. There's also something in the secret or in the uh, show notes also if you want to come to an information call every month where I talk about what our Thrival community is all about. Exactly. Uh, you can find out more about us there. So 
Thank and, you so much for yeah, joining and, us on the podcast. And if, if you got any questions, if you want to know anything about Thrival, about the podcast, or about Deeper Weekend, or about the uh, the the anything that we've talked about, you can always drop a note through the email to info at thrival.com. That'll get to us, and we'll be able to get back to you on all that stuff. So that was episode That's 88, right. guys. We're out of here. We're Thanks done. for joining us. <laughs> Thanks a million. Bye-bye.